Welcome to the Rider Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Buenos dias. Mary Korea. Bravo 6, going dark. Today's episode, Time Management. That was my idea of a British accent, by the way. Wow, that was very British. That was so bad. So British. I'm not Captain Price. Oh, man. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Rider Dojo. Glad to have you back with us today. Okay. The topic we're going to talk on today is uh, is the idea of time management and, and um, deadlines, because it turns out we've both been slapped in the face with those lately, and it's been they've been kind of all consuming. Yeah, it's actually it's an interesting part of the writing career is that time is so of the essence, um, and we wanted to talk about kind of like nuts and bolts. How do you deal with that? I, I think one of the biggest things when it comes to writing is, and, and you hear this a lot, the very first thing you write, it takes you however long it takes you to write it. And then however long it takes for it to sell. And then however long it takes to get the, the edits done. Because it's your first book. But then uh, you sign that, that, that contract for book two. And it's like, cool, you have nine months. Yeah. Or if you're on the indie side of things, time is, uh, the way the market is shaking out, out now is that the customers have come to expect certain size products in a certain amount of time. Yeah. And if you fail to meet that, they have moved on to the next thing. And some of those time scales that some of these guys are working on now, uh, frankly, are ones that I couldn't do. They're, they're smaller, crazy. smaller bite-sized books, but they're turning these things around in a matter of months. Oh, I mean, there's there's guys that do the um, plenty of of indie authors that do the oh, I'm I'm writing a book a month sort of thing. Now those are like fifty to seventy five thousand word yeah. books. I, I call them the churn and burn. Yeah, uh, and sometimes they're even like twenty five thousand, thirty thousand yeah. word, basically novellas, almost you know, serial fiction, right? Yeah, but even then, they're still working on a on a very strict time guideline. Uh, some authors uh, will go languid on that, and uh, usually those guys don't have much of careers. I mean, there are some that will have years and years between books, uh, but those are rare. And it's usually because the first book was such a hit, uh, but most of us, that's not the case. Yeah. And this is yeah. not going to be another episode where I complain about how George Martin sucks. No. Well, forget that guy. He's, yeah, the, the, we're, we're talking about actual professional time management, not languid, fat bastard time management. Right. Okay, so when, okay, for, so for example, your first book comes out, whatever, you get that contract that says, okay, uh, nine months from now, I need book two. Yeah. Or a lot of times on the first or book, a year it might or be whatever. A year. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Right? So let, let's, let's kind of talk through um, perhaps the mental state of this, the logistical state of this for how people can get themselves in the right mindset um, in order to deliver on these deadlines. Yeah, well, there's two there's two separate things at play here. There's have you quit your day job yet or do <laughs> you still have your day job? Yeah. Um, because that's going to make a big difference on how you do this. Now, Massive. for most of us, when we sell our first book, uh, we still have a day job. Uh, unless life has, for whatever reason, you know, d- you know, whatever, and you've got more time, Odds are you're going to have to manage this around the thing that actually pays your bills. Because remember, there's that delay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a big delay. Even Look, even if you're indie, there's still a delay, guys. Yeah. 
because um, even if it's it, this is a hard thing here because we're talking about time management, but actually we're talking about money management. There you go. And time and money are <laughs> functionally equivalent. They're functionally equivalent. Basically, guys, so you write the first book. If you're indie, you're going to want to get that second book out as fast as possible. If that first book fails, uh, you are able to change course and write something entirely different and then fire that one. If that one f- sticks, then you write the th- you know next thing with that second thing. Uh, you do have a little more responsiveness in how, how you can handle this. If you're traditionally published, that is out of your hands. Because when you get that first book out there, you get the contract for the next one, it's specified what you are writing. And those times are baked in because that publishing house needs lead times. Because it's not just you. You're not the only part of this production pipeline. No, I mean, we're talking about editorial. We're talking about art. Talking about publication and distribution. Uh, Sales and marketing. Sales and marketing. I mean, there's so many aspects that goes into this. The furthest I ever had to move up, just give you guys an idea, the first I ever had to move up a deadline was for, I want to say, House of Assassins or Destroyer of Worlds. Uh, Oh, no, wait, wait. wait. No, No, it was Son of the Black Sword. Yeah, so Son of the Black Sword. So first one of my epic fantasy series, which has done really well. I thought I had three more months to polish on it. Turns out you had a weekend. I had a weekend because they came to me and the publisher, we had an opportunity to become the lead book on the new catalog for one of the big major two distributors. Um, The way this works, guys, is these catalogs at the time, I'm sure it's probably more online now, but at the time, those catalogs, this is 10 years ago now, the catalogs would go out to all the various independent bookstores around America and all the book purchasers, and this was going to be on the cover. And that's where they were ordering their books out of for their independent bookstores. And if I wanted to have my book on the cover, we needed to have the ARCs available to them in the next, I think we had like three weeks, which meant Sounds right. I, I still hadn't written the finale, and it means I had the weekend to write the last, I think it was 16 or 18,000 words yep. of Son of the Black Sword. And then Steve read it like that Monday. <laughs> yeah, no, I really did. I really did. It was, it, the, the deadline on that was intense. Um, I was unexpected. Very unexpected, very intense. Um, I will, I do want to point out though, that you were already writing and you were on schedule and you were on target to deliver said novel. If You'd procrastinated um, even a couple more weeks. You wouldn't have been able to have delivered that. No, and I wouldn't have been able to take advantage of the extra sales that I got off of being that cover book. Right. So it's 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 important. Um, It's important that when you start writing a novel, that you understand where the deadline is, and um, you start working backwards from that. Logistically speaking just in terms of your writing schedule. Okay. If it, if, if that book is due, just, let's just say December 31st. Okay. Okay. How many words is it? Okay. Say it's a hundred thousand words. Okay. How many words a week can you write? Say it's 10,000. Okay, cool. Um, so that's 10 weeks, right? 10 weeks, 10,000 words, hundred thousand words. Totally doable. Doom, 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 doom. You start working backwards. Um, figure in there, you're going to screw up, something bad is going to happen and you're going to need to adjust fire. So, okay, well, uh, how many weeks is that? I don't know, two, three. Okay. We'll move it back a little bit more. What you start to see, 
Um, it's almost like a Gantt chart if for, for those of you who, who, who deal with project management and in, in logistical management and stuff like that. You start seeing the line, you start seeing the, the development of all this stuff and how it goes out. And you start looking at things and saying, okay, I really need, um, what you'll probably end up seeing is, oh, I probably should have started writing three weeks ago. Yeah. The last, <laughs> the word, we need to look at it as this book needs to be done by this date. And that means that by this date, I need to be here approximately. By this date, I need to be here approximately. The trap you run into is life gets in the way. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you have to be doing a whole lot more than you thought. Especially when you still have the day job, that's when you start getting those crazy 20,000 word weekends. Yeah. Which, let's be honest, we've all done them. They suck. They suck. Yeah, they are not fun. And guys, I hate to break it to you, you can't keep doing that because you will burn out. You will. Uh, my record in one day, 16,000 words. Dude, that's so much. Uh, that's that's so much. And I got it out the door. And then after that, man, I was done for about I was going to say, I was going to ask you. I was, was going to say <laughs> that because I know, um, I know when I, when I did the binge writing thing, um, I would, you know, I'd, I'd throw down 50 in a week, right? 50,000 words in a week. And it was brutal. It was, I mean, you, you, you got to do what you got to do to get it done. Um, but for the week or two weeks or three weeks, however long it was after the fact, dude, I was dead. Yeah. And if you do that for too long, your wife's going to leave you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let, let, remember, uh, remember writer dojo 2.0. I mean, you know, the lovely Mrs. Diamond just said all she had to do to, to, to knock me off her insurance money was just stop feeding me. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so guys, okay. So I just had a, uh, experience where I was the latest I have ever been on a book that was already scheduled. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say that, because once again, we're talking about the pipeline where all these different things need to be taken care of. Um, and so I make, I'm making life difficult for other people down the line here, but for Monster Hunter Memoirs Fever, uh, which is a, a novel co-written with Jason Cordova, um, we're super late and that's entirely 100% my fault, not Jason's fault. Jason, every step of this process, got the book back to me when it needed to be back to me. He got it back to me every time it went back to him, came back to me, uh, quick, um, on time. I'm the one that dropped the ball and we've talked about on the show before. I just had life get in the way. And also I took a break in the middle to stop and write an entire nonfiction book, uh, in the time I would have been leading up to this. And so I finished this later by far than I should have. This book should have been finished at the beginning of the year is finished now. Um, uh, you know, and that's entirely on me, but guys, you know, life happens. This is book number 26 for me or 27, 26 or 27, something like that. So stuff Who's happens. counting? Definitely well, not George. Yeah. <laughs> Even as professionals, this stuff happens. So guys, uh, the key is you need to have a calendar. You need to look at that calendar and be realistic assessment of what can I accomplish in these types. Don't be like, uh, you know, it's okay if I don't get anything done this month. I'll just write double next month. You say that until you don't know what's actually going to happen next month. Well, I mean, next month, what happens if you break your wrists. Well, one of the things that happened to me this year is we were not expecting triple winter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah. I live in a place that where I, I live up where the ski resorts are, right? And which is beautiful and wonderful. And it's a wonderful place to live. Until you have to plow all that snow every day. Until you get four feet of snow per night. 
uh, and you're trying to stay ahead of that and you have family that are still trying to exist and you about break your back trying to get it, your, your, your road plug. So I basically had this part-time job this winter. So what I'm saying guys is when I had time earlier in the year, um, to get ahead of this project, I should have done so. And I did not. Well, and, and also, um, when, when, uh, when the two A book came out, you literally had a full-time job for a matter of weeks. I did, uh, the entire month of February. And so this is another thing, guys, is publicity stuff is that when you get on your career, publicity stuff is important, yet publicity stuff takes time. It does. Plus publicity stuff is an interruption in your regular workflow. So in the previous episode, we talked about getting into that work, that flow state mm-hmm. where you just like, you're cranking out your best stuff. If you have, you start cranking out your best stuff and then you suddenly have to stop because you got to go be on a podcast for two hours or you got to go do live radio for 15 minutes, it's really hard to get into that state. And I did that the entire month of February. I think I mean, I, you were working, I mean, you were interviewing, being uh, interviewed for 40 hours a week. Yeah. Well, we weeks. had, at the end was like 47 separate radio interviews that yeah. I had done and I don't know how many podcasts. And so guys, that's part of it too. So there's an old saying for farmers uh, you know, uh, was it, you cut hay while the weather, while the weather allows or whatever, or you cut hay while the sun shines. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, you strike while the iron is hot as a writer. So if you have deadlines and time management and a time presents itself to you to jump ahead, by all means do it. Uh, if you wait to the last possible second to get this stuff out the door, that's when suddenly your power's out and you're under 16 feet of snow. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so you got to strike while the iron's hot and get ahead of yourself. So if you have a, a good spot of time to go write, and it's not scheduled writing time, by all means do it. Now, part of time balance is life balance and work balance. And we've talked about this on the show a lot. You got wives, you got kids, you got husbands, uh, you got family, you got responsibilities, you got church, you got your job, you got grandma, you got, you got your, you know, someone you need to go out with your dog, you need to touch grass. Yeah. Whatever it is, that's all part of this, guys. And you got to keep a balance here and doing all this stuff. Sometimes that means you're going to have to give up certain things uh, when you're trying to make it as a writer. Uh, And you just got to ask yourself, is this thing that I am giving up worth it? Or does this thing fill my bucket? Yep. Because we've talked about too, creativity is not just a faucet that I can turn off and on and magic creativity just flows out. You got to refill your bucket. Sharpen the saw, as we've said. You got to sharpen the saw. If you have a dull saw, you could just saw for hours and you ain't getting through nothing, right? right? You got to sharpen that saw. Then you can saw through it no time flat. So sometimes I've seen authors who are like, well, I just, uh, to be an author, I gave up everything else fun. I I quit playing video games. I quit watching TV. I quit what, I quit reading other books. Uh, How long is that going to last though? There, there, it's the diet mentality. Right. Right. Um, the people that, that give up everything to go on a diet because they think it's going to help them lose weight or become healthier or whatever, for a certain amount of time, it works. Um, but after another certain amount of time, it starts becoming a drain on you in terms of your emotional, your physical, your mental states. Then you're going to break down and eat a giant bag of Ho-Hos. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that because they're delicious. I love Ho-Hos. <laughs> I ate a lot of hoes this week. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you actually you did. I actually did. It was yeah. that was a gun school. It's part of gun school. Um, you gotta need those calories. But what I'm saying here, guys, is you gotta come up with your time management. It's gotta be something that's supportable mm-hmm. and sustainable. 
It's got to be a program that you can continue. It's, it, like, the weight loss actually is a great example. Yeah. Um, as a guy who has been really fat before <laughs> because of being a writer and lost weight and kept most of it off. The key, guys, is you got to be able to like find this program that allows you to write, allows you to work, allows you to do the things you need to do, and refill the bucket so you can do it over again the next day. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We come back, kind of want to, you know, we'll, we'll get back into this and, and some of the things that you can do to, to help out. And, and again, um, some more of the nuts and the bolts of, of why you should be uh, gunning for hitting all of those deadlines. So we'll be right back. Hello, Word Mercenaries. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., host of the Novel Marketing Podcast, here to bring you book marketing commandment number nine. Thou shalt not publish thy first book first. Good marketing helps a bad book fail faster. So if you want your book to sell, it needs to be gold medal good. But here's the thing. A runner's first race is never for the gold. Your first book won't be a masterpiece. At least, it's not a masterpiece yet. When you finish your book, you're too close to it. You're standing inside the jar trying to read the label. Once you write your second book, you will have eyes to see how to fix book number one. Many authors try too hard for too long to get their first book published. They often end up with dozens of rejection letters, or they go indie and sell dozens of copies. They burn out and give up on writing because they think there's something wrong with them. This is a tragedy because typically there's nothing wrong with them. They just needed more practice. So give yourself a chance to practice and don't publish your first book first. To learn more about how to make your book gold medal good, listen to The Writer's Dojo. To learn how to turn your gold medal book into a bestseller, Listen to my podcast, Novel Marketing, available at novelmarketing.com and everywhere podcasts can be found. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, Larry, so deadlines. Um, there's positives, there's there's negatives to them. Some are easy to hit, some are hard to hit. Sometimes, you know, an opportunity in your case, like in your case, an opportunity presented itself. A whole extra book in the middle of a whole, book. whole extra book or... Um, the opportunity to have your book featured in a new way if you just sped up your deadline. Um, I'm, I'm recently, I recently just went through something uh, similar-ish. Um, and, and, and this is kind of what I want to talk, part of what I want to talk about too. And that's the, the flexibility that you have as, a, as an author to move things around, to be able to adjust on the fly to bizarre circumstances. For you, you know, son of the black sword, um, and, and, uh, in defense of the second amendment for me. So I'm like, I'm doing this whole project, these, this whole series of books with Mike Rothman mm-hmm. and, um, the first book in that series, the second book is basically written. The first book is basically written. Um, we're, we're both just a little bit behind on them because of, of real life things, but logistically speaking, we already had an editor lined up for time. We already had an audiobook narrator lined up for time. So it's like, well, crap, if we don't give them something, we're going to lose them. Yep. And logistically speaking, that's muy malo, like super no bueno. Well, you probably have a deposit yeah. on them too. That you're In general, you, you generally have like a, like a half up front deposit. Right. Okay. So that's just throwing money away. So what did we do? Um, Rothman comes up to me and he says, he says, Hey buddy, uh, I'm behind on this part. Um, and, and, and this part really needs some more time for, for you to review and, and all this sort of stuff. He said, well, how, 
how fast can we get the um, your your revisions and edits done on the author's edition of Residue? And I said, well, I mean, I can pivot really quick if that's what we need to do to make sure everything's cool. He's like, yeah, let's do it. Because that way you're the people you've already paid for, you're mm-hmm. still putting them to work. Correct. And so I spent about a week and a half, two weeks, line by line, you know, word by word, page by page, uh, going through and, and adjusting, uh, making some changes to residue, turned it in. And now that book is, is within, it's in edits. And as soon as it's done with the edits, um, we know that logistically speaking, the narrator is scheduled for, I think it's the middle of June. Um, to start recording the new audiobook for for residue. So that means that as soon as the edits come, I have to drop everything, like everything, um, or just not sleep and and go through all the all the edits from the new editor um, and then turn that around so that it can go right into into audio production. The flexibility of that is super important. The ability to say, okay, that's that's fine. I can put this stuff on hold, focus on this really quick. Um, I, I think, I think guys like you and I, um, maybe have a small advantage because of the, of the work that we've done in our pasts. Yeah, you, you and I were, you and I have both worked for, for small businesses at high levels. Yeah. If you have a, a background in regular work where you have time crunches and you learn to work with time crunches, uh, it is what it is. A bid comes in, uh, you have X number of days to get it done or you're getting audited, you have X number of hours to get the information together to make the angry government people go away. All while still doing your regular job. Yeah. You learn to work around the crunches. Writing is the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, You learn to work around the crunches. That's why it's good to get as much done when you can, when there is no crunch upon you. Yeah. Um, Crunches vary too, because sometimes it's uh, unforeseen difficulties creep up. Other times it's an opportunity, so it's a good thing. Like like if uh, yeah, like when Audible came along and said, "Hey, we want you to do the Lost Planet Homicide for us." <laughs> oh, that's right. That happened at the same time, also. It was, and it was like we want to pay you this much, and it's like, wow, okay, that'll that that's well. In fact, that that happened when when the first um, Lost Planet Homicide, uh, when you were doing that, that was right when that was right when we were in the thick of getting. Um, Servants of War done. Yeah. So when your career goes on and you have opportunities where it's like somebody else comes along and is like, hey, we want to pay you a really large sum of money for something that's not that much work. Uh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Because money is nice and makes mm-hmm. it so you can live and guns aren't cheap. Um, that's you know? true. It's very true. <laughs> so so what, I'm, what I'm getting at here, guys, is when you have the opportunity to get ahead, get ahead. And that way when stuff comes along and kicks you uh, or blocks you or good or bad – you are ahead enough that you can do it. Um, so we earlier we talked about getting to that flow state where you're, you know, you're trying to like keep your bucket full so you can write, try to maximize your productive hours. And what I get it back to this. So if you have 10 hours available over the weekend to write, try to make it so that 10 hours of that is valuable. One of the greatest enemies to writers is social media. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a wonderful thing for marketing purposes. Uh, for me, it actually fills my bucket when I go out and I pick fights with people. Um, <laughs> but most people, it doesn't. Mm. So tread carefully on that. I see so many writers who are like, they'll give themselves five hours of, of, of writing time. They'll allot themselves five hours to write. And how much do you think they actually write in that? 
Oh, at least five minutes. Because I saw them on social media for the other four and a half hours. <laughs> and I'm assuming they took a bathroom break in there too, right? Yeah. So, so don't squander your time on stupid, frivolous things. Um, I think part of the problem is we have a hard time mistaking frivolous from necessary. Yeah. I see a lot of writers who are like, well, I'm doing marketing. Uh, no, you're not. You're, you're dicking right. around. Yeah. Marketing is a directed activity. Marketing should be something that you said, I'm going to do the following things in order to boost my profile and my name and sell books. If you can't explain to me how you're using this to sell books, then you're not doing marketing. Yeah. You're screwing around on the internet. Yeah. Which, once again, if that fills your bucket, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Like, so when you guys see me out there picking a fight with a moron, uh, mm. usually I get energized by that. Plus, I, people are, I'm really fast, and so I'll be arguing with like eight or eight or ten or twelve guys at the same time. Each one will get maybe a ten second response. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm actually super efficient, but I'll go back and I'll then I'll then I'll be in after I make you know get some good lines in there and digs and laughed, and then I go back and I've had my confrontation, and then I go back and I'll write for another thirty minutes or forty five minutes or whatever it is that sprint. Um, if I get into the zone and I am in the zone, my wife will be like, "Hey, dinner's ready." And I'll be like, honey, I'm in the zone. And she's like, oh, okay. Yep. And she will leave me a plate. Um, that, you know, that said, I don't hit that that often. So it's not like I'm, you know, my, my family's not hating me because of this. Um, I see other people, like I said, like, the people who are like, I'm not going to play video games anymore. I'm not going to play TV. I'm not going to watch TV anymore. That's fine. If it's not something that fills your bucket, then by all means, quit doing it. See, for me, for me, that stuff does. Yeah. So um, if you had to quit watching movies... You, you would not write books anymore. No. In fact, I mean, you, you and I, I mean, we've, we've played a lot of the same video games. You tend to trend more towards um, like twitchy, PvP, Call of Duty-ish, World of Tanks-y sort of games. Yeah. And I'm I a, go... I'm a combat game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I trend uh, more towards, um, you know, your, your single player story, like super story driven games. Uh, I, I was having this conversation with with one of our listeners the other night, and um, for me, it it that stuff fills my bucket yep. because because I get to I get to play a fun game, I get to experience a really interesting story, and it gets my brain it gets my brain working. Um, so like uh, Ghost of Tsushima, oh, a game that both game. you and I adore. Oh, loved it. One of my favorite games of the past ten years. Um, I play that game. And as I'm playing that game, I'm just going, man, I can appreciate the story choices that they made here. Yeah. I can appreciate it's this. Good, good writing. Or on this, it's like, eh, eh, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. Or, you know, you get to the end. And I remember I remember playing the end of that game and thinking, dang, like, if I can, if I can even get half the punch that these guys did out of, out of something, out of a story like this from, for an ending, man. Readers are going to be real happy. We need to get some of our video game friends on. Oh yeah, and, for sure. And interview them. We know we know some of the same guys. That yeah. Work from different video game companies. It'd be fun to interview about story. Oh, absolutely. For and another episode. For a totally to, other episode. Yeah. But you know, for for me, if I was to just completely excise that from from my life, like I I, I wouldn't have like I would be a much more unhappy person. It, it, or, or if you said, Steve, you're not allowed to barbecue anymore. Oh, you die. I mean, like, screw that. Barbecue Barbecue literally got me through one of the, the worst working moments of my life. Yeah. Screw that. You need something. 
it, it, and everybody is different. There's no right answer. So I always hate when I see somebody who gets all preachy about, well, you shouldn't do that because it's a waste of time. You should be working. We've talked about this on the show you before. You should be too. working. Yeah. It's crap. You got to fill your bucket somehow, and everybody's bucket is filled differently. Like, so it might be video games, it might be miniature paintings. Like, I actually haven't painted minis much for the last year uh, just because I kind of got stymied a little bit. I had gotten really good, and my usual outlets for showing it off were taken from me. Mm-hmm. And I was a little grumpy about that, you know? And so uh, I've been playing more video games, you know, whatever. It's just, honestly, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do whatever it is you need to do. Well, actually, I've been shooting a lot more. I was <laughs> that was say. a big one. Um, yeah. But, but as long as you have whatever it is that fills your bucket. Some authors, the authors who outlive us all, are the ones who do exercise. Oh yeah, but who wants to do that? You know, so there are some guys who they do uh, they do exercise and that's what they do to fill their bucket, and that's awesome too. That's neat, but you know, I'm pretty sure my heartbeat only has a finite number. Yeah, like four. four yeah, more. so screw that, dude. <laughs> I'm gonna use those heartbeats eating bacon. Yeah, and he will. Um, the thing is, guys, it doesn't matter, and don't let anybody else tell you what you should be doing with your time because they're not you. The main thing is you make make the best of the time that you have allotted. Know how much time you actually have available and then be prepared to maximize that. I think one of the big things here is the, we, we, we talk about consequences a lot of choices that we make within, within the writing, whether it's um, legitimately like, like we had, a, we had a, 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 our message fiction episode and what are the consequences of implementing certain aspects of that within your fiction? Well, there are consequences and consequence is not a, um, a positive or a negative word. It's just a, it's just a word, um, that can, that can be either. So the consequences to hitting or missing deadlines. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I try really hard um, especially with with short fiction, and I've gotten I've got invited into a lot of um, to a lot more short fiction these yeah, you've days. Been in a lot of anthologies. It's proving that I can deliver that story to the editor within a certain with within the time that they yeah. need it. You can give an expected level of quality and an expected level of time. That's right. Um, Once you can do that, you will never lack for work. So um, uh, partway through last year. You and I wrote a story for um, for um, Sean Hazlitt uh, for uh, his. It was like World War Three China, Weird, yeah. Weird Wars Three China. Um, I don't. In fact, I wonder when that story's coming out. I have no idea. It's probably sometime this year. Anyway, super awesome story. Um, uh, I totally forgot about it. Yeah. And then I don't know what happened. I don't remember if Sean emailed me and asked how it was coming or what it was, but all of a sudden it popped in my head like, oh crap! And so I looked. And it was due like four days later. So I said, well, crap. Well, we cranked. So I wrote it that night. Yeah. I sent it to you the next day. You did your parts on it that day. Sent it back to me. We edited it and sent it back to Sean and we hit deadline. Yep. We did the same thing, me and Jonathan Mayberry with Weaponized Hell. Yeah. The the uh, uh, Joe Ledger, Agent Frank story. Mm-hmm. Same thing. We both forgot. Uh and then we basically cranked it out. He did his half. I did my half. We stuck them together the next night. And we were done. Yeah. Um, so, so honestly, yeah, if you can prove that you can hustle like that, you will never lack for work again. Well, and, and here's one of the, here's the interesting thing. Um, I, I was talking with Sean afterwards and Sean um, ended up giving us some edits back on it. And I, I freaking loved his edits. He was great at it. Um, I've been pretty open that, that I, I love the way that Sean has the edits. Um, but he, uh, 
he, he was he was talking to, to me a little bit later about some other potential anthologies. And I said, hey, dude, if 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 you're okay with it and 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 you you like the work that I did before um, this thing that I did with Larry, if if you if you want me involved in some of your other anthologies, I would love to to contribute because I liked working with you, yada yada. And his response was something to the effect of, dude, you you delivered like you said, Larry, a quality product on time. He said. Do you have any idea how rare that is? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people fall down on that. And, um, I, I mean, shoot, with uh, um, with the noir, the third noir anthology mm-hmm. that, that you're the editor on, and I, and I have a story, and I have my first werewolf cop yeah, story. Yeah, I just got the cover rough for that. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So um, I, that, that story... I had it in my head that it was due on an October 31st. It was due October 1st. <laughs> and so, um, and I realized this in September and, and I looked it up, I found the contract and I saw it was due on the, on the 1st instead of the 31st. And I went, Oh crap. So I started writing it, but the very first thing I did was I emailed, I emailed your co-editor Casey mm-hmm. and I said, Hey, uh, I misread, I misunderstood. I said, I'm still going to try to hit this deadline, but I might be a couple days late. So I was open and I was communicative. Editors appreciate that. And I was about two days late on that, which most editors for short story anthologies, they, they build themselves buffer for that anyway. We, we build that in. Yeah. Like the deadline's October 1st, but really it's November 1st. Well, and also too, what happens is the, the, the bigger the name in the anthology, the more, the, the more time they, they get. Because <laughs> like, we're just happy they're there. Yeah. Like if I got a David Weber or Laurel K. Hamilton contributing a story, then by all means, if they need longer time, we'll, we'll make time for them. Well, it's more important for the sales of the anthology. Exactly. Because having their name on there is worth yeah. money to everybody else in the anthology. Correct. One thing people don't realize on the way um, deadlines work on contracts, it'll depend on the relationship you have with your publishing house too. Because there's the, when you first make the contract, especially when you're like me and you have like 16 contracts outstanding at any given time, because you know, they want to put a ring on my finger and keep me there happy. It's very sexy. Yeah, it's pretty sexy. I'm I'm a great bride here. Mm. Um, There's the contract date. There's a date put in the contract, but honestly, that's not enforced until... Really, we I work it out with my publisher. So I talk to Tony Weisskopf, and yeah, I have like you know I have like eight books under contract at any given time. They have dates, but those are kind of arbitrary dates. We just need something for the contract. Really, what it comes down to is once we put it on the calendar for production. That's right. Because that means we're scheduling other people. That means we're we're advertising it. We're we're commissioning it a cover, so on and so forth. We're getting into catalogs. Well, and and for traditional publishing, traditional publishers only have X number of books per year that they can publish within a calendar. So if they say, oh, okay, one of the 10 books in the month of June that we are going to publish is one of Larry's, well, that slot is filled. It is now set in stone. Now is where the deadline is real. Yeah. And they have a drop dead date. So they'll be like, we would like it by this date. Because that gives us plenty of time to go through the proofreading and the editing and so on and so forth and all the other stuff. Uh, enables us to sell eARCs. But the farther you go past that, you get closer to what's the drop dead date. Yeah. And the drop dead date is panic time. Well, yeah, because at that point, you're talking about like literal production and printing times. Yep. And those are worse now 
than they used to be. Right. So this is something you work out. Of product availability. And so basically, guys, when you're starting out, it's whatever it is in your contract. That is that is what it is. Uh, later on, you have a relationship with your publisher. Uh, it it will depend. So, but when for those of you mostly listening to this, when you're starting out, by all means, you hit that date. And by hitting that date, you show that you are a good, reliable deliverer of a quality product in a in a quality time. I've seen authors who are really good at hitting that, and then editors that were really bad. Yeah, sure, sure, you know, that happens. That happens too. Um, but then again, if your editor's really bad, the earlier you get it back to them, the longer they have to screw up. <laughs> well, I mean, gosh, that happened. I, I did some edits for um, for a couple books for Tor um, several years ago, and the reason I had to do the edits was because um, one of the editors at Tor got fired uh, for mm, bad reasons, and well, I mean. They fired him for the right reasons. The, well, they can honestly fire three quarters of the editors there, and they wouldn't lose any talent. Well, yeah, and and <laughs> and this guy was this guy had done bad things. Um, but then the new the all of that work got piled onto another editor, and that editor, it, I mean, the books by this other person that I edited, they just weren't a priority. Yeah, and so so I did the editing on it. Um, you just don't know how the editors are going to be. You don't know. Uh, well, and, and there's all sorts of political reasons why they might not care. Well, there's, there's all sorts of logistical reasons why they can't care. Well, you turn care. it in and you think it's great and they come back with all sorts, and you turn it in later and then they come back with a whole bunch of edits. Yeah. And edits take time. And to me, I don't know about you guys, but I've said this on the show before, writing is fun, editing is work. Yeah, editing is a whole different game. So the the, 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 the earlier I can turn it in, the better, um, you know, but... The, because that gives me more time for the part that's actually harder. I, I'm lucky, though, because as my career has gone on, as I've turned books in, they've been cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. Over time, I've needed less and less editing. Yeah. Um, and I'm still, I'm not I'm not Stephen King where, I, you know, you don't edit the king. That's that's horse crap. Everybody's editable, all right? Everybody screws Everybody up. Everybody should be editable. Everybody should be editable. You screw up sometimes. That's what editors are for. Uh, so I'm totally open to edits. But that said, as I've gone in my career, I've turned in cleaner and cleaner manuscripts. That's just practice. Like I said, I've done this 27 times now. I've gotten pretty good. Um, that said, try to get it in as fast as you can, guys. Honestly, because the faster you can get it done when the, you know, once again, cut hay when the sun shines, the faster you can get it in, the more time it gives you to take advantage of other opportunities. Another thing, too, is um, I was talking to another author, very good guy, good author, but we were both up for the Dragon Award. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was one of my uh, Son of the Black Sword I think, and uh, he was for uh, one of his novels. I think he's an indie guy. And he was saying, well, you're going to kick my butt. You're Larry Korea. Um, you know, and I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. First off, right off the bat, like, don't beat yourself up because that is a popularity contest, right? Yeah. But second, the fact you're up against me, and I was like, how, because you're indie, how long did you have to work on your novel? I was like, from beginning to end, what was your time frame to get your book done? And he said, I had three months. I was like, okay, I had eight. Yeah. So right out the gate, I had more than double the amount of time you had to work on the same product. And neither one of us is lazy. Neither one of us is dumb. We're both talented dudes. But just the fact is I had twice as much time as you had. So when you're putting the two head to head, don't don't beat yourself up. So another thing, guys, on, on I want you to think about it this way. When you're a professional, you have so much time to make a product and we're making products we're artists but you make it as good as you can and the time allotted there is very hard to make a perfect book 
on a timetable. No, that doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, and a lot of people delude themselves too. They think the longer they have to work on something, the more perfect it's going to be. No. No, that's that's actually not true. You you just start polishing the turd. You have a yeah. really shiny turd, but it's still a turd. Um, I mean, George Martin's taken 15 years or whatever to write this book. Yeah. Is it, does anybody expect it to be good? Well, is it... Is it okay? So say the first say the first three books took him two years each to to put together. Yeah. Okay. Is it going to be five, six, seven, eight times as good? No. No. Nobody expects that. No. I mean, there's diminishing returns to these right. things. Just straight up, straight up factual based. Pointed to diminishing returns is a really good way to look at this. When you write a book, guys, you want to get it as good as you can in the time you have allotted. There's and there's a point where you get it to like a high level. And there's a point where to get it to the next level takes more work. And a to get it to the work. next work level beyond that takes way more work. And like the last episode, we were talking about shooting, right? Mm-hmm. For me to get down to a 1.5 second draw from concealment takes, you know, X number of hours, right? Yeah, not too bad. To get down to a 1.3 takes 10 times that. To get down to a 1.1 takes 10 times that. To get down to subs one second takes... T- <laughs> well... 20 times that. Yeah, buena. You guys see what I'm saying? Buena suerte there. It's the point of diminishing returns. Yep. Um, so you want to get your book as good as you can in the time that you have allotted. Take advantage of the time while you can, but you aren't going to hit perfection. No. Because you're not going to hit perfection even if you took 10 years. No, you're not. And and I mean, I, I think we see this with guys like Rothfuss, right? They, they say that they're just... They're agonizing and wordsmithing over every word. That's horse crap. And I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, is that more important or is or is getting that book done more important? I've had conversations with pretentious literati types who mistake uh, paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence, wordsmithing for quality writing. It's not. The quality writing is going to be the fact that the people remember your story. Yeah. When people remember your story, they remember the story. They're not remembering individual lines. Now, they might. There might be such... Like at the beginning of each episode, I start with a quote, right? Yeah. Because it's like some cool, memorable quote. They'll remember that, but they're not going to remember your sentence structure for the entire book. They'll remember vaguely that it was really good. Like Christopher Rocchio. Best line-for-line, paragraph-by-paragraph wordsmith I know working, right? Yeah. I couldn't tell you what any of those are. No, it's, it's more of a, it's just more of a recognition of talent sort of a thing. And also the fact that all that stuff together paints a really cool picture. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he could, he could have a, he could have the exact same quality of writing that he does that we, that we know and love. Yeah. But if his character sucked, we wouldn't care. No, we're in it because the character's really interesting. Yeah. We're in it because the character's freaking rad. And it's a cool, it's an interesting story. story. It's an interesting is, journey. Yeah. The story's awesome. Yeah. So what I'm saying is like, I've, I've had like pretentious dorks, you know, like what's the single best line you've ever written? I go, the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Because that means I finished the project. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. Because now. The, the endorsement I put on the back of my check to deposit it. <laughs> yeah. When I sign my name, that, that's, that's, that's the best. Um, when it goes to the bank. No, but see what I'm saying guys <laughs> is you're going to get judged by the, by the quality of your finished project. Make that product as good as you possibly can in the time you have allotted. In the time you have allotted. Yeah. Now, when you're first starting out and you haven't sold anything, that time is entirely up to you. Plus, that's honestly the best time 
to really have more time is because you're learning. Mm-hmm. But, and then later on, when you get like guys like us who've been doing this a while, we're at that point of diminishing returns as far as extra effort. Yeah. So if, like for each pass I take on that book, after the first like take, I need, I need one to write it, one to like get it all coherent, and like a second or third one to like really get it cleaned up and ready to be published. If I took the time to do a fourth pass, fifth pass, sixth pass, seventh pass, each one of those is beyond the point of diminishing returns. Well, and, and at a certain point... Man, let the editors earn their money. Yeah. Honestly, most of my books, it's basically three passes and it's out the door. Yeah. It's one to write it, one to clean it up and make it coherent and move stuff around where it needs to go. Two to like read it from beginning to end to make it really clean. And then the third pass is honestly just like little nit stuff like repetitive word use. Sure. Uh, uh, just like 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 little pacing issues, little continu- checking for continuity, that kind of thing. Then it's off to the editors. Yeah. And... and- yeah, for me, it's, um, I mean, like I, I just did this with residue again and oh my gosh, um, I'm really tired of reading that book. Oh yeah. And, and by the time you send a book out the door, you've read it 10 times. At least. Yeah. And so, you know, I went through and I literally made adjustments on every single page of that book, every single page I sent it off and, and could I have read it three more times and made even more adjustments? Yeah, sure. Or I could just send it off to the editor and see if there's anything that they pop up with. Yep. And then, you know, edit, re-edit the second book. Because dirty little secret, the stuff, even if you did fourth path, fifth path, sixth path, the stuff that you are missing is the stuff the editor is going to catch immediately. Yeah. You're going to keep missing it because you're too close. Way too close to it. And we're all in the same boat. That's just human psychology. We don't even know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. That's what the outside eyes are for. Trained professional eyes, that's the kind of thing they're supposed to catch. And so if if I'm spending all this time just re-going over it and over it and over in it, um, I'm losing time on other deadlines that I have. Yep. I'm, I'm narrowing that window. Or even if you don't have a deadline, you have another product you could be working on. Sure, yeah. It could be your next big thing. I mean, it's not like I have a, it's not like I have a contract for... Um, for my, uh, my, my science fiction novel yeah. that I've been writing, but I wrote half of it as quick as I could. Oh, we all want to see it. Oh, I know. I want to see it. Uh, you know, I wrote it as quick as I could. Uh, and I'm glad I did. You know why? Because, uh, I, when, after I'd written half of it, all of a sudden I got approached to do a novella, which apparently is at the editors right now. And, um, uh, in, in, in this thing with Rothman, but once all that's done, I have already half of a book written already. I'm ahead of the game on that. I have, I have books that I wrote fast and I have books that I wrote slow. And honestly, my readers can't tell which is which. Because it's not about the number of hours you put in. It's about the quality of the hours you put in. Mm-hmm. So if I got into that, that wonderful flow state for one day, that could be worth a week of mediocre writing. Mm-hmm. You know? And so honestly... People get hung. So I, when I wrote the Second Amendment book, I wrote the whole thing in thirty days, right? Well, I mean, it was less than that actually. Yeah, it was like twenty, like twenty-one, twenty-three was, days. Well, then I had another three like, weeks to check in all my stats and sites. Yeah. The kicker about this is, I've had dumb idiots who are like, oh, he wrote in, he wrote in three, you know, because it's politically motivated. You only wrote it, and it only took you three, three, four weeks, so it must not be good. Exactly. Well, here's the kicker: what they don't understand. This is a subject I've been learning about for thirty years. It's a subject I've been, I did professionally for seven or eight, and is a subject I've been passionate about since I was a teenager. 
learning. I'm a dork on the subject, right? I've learned everything I can about this subject for 30 years. When you've been working on a subject for 30 years and you taught it professionally for seven to thousands and thousands of people, it doesn't take that long to write it down. That is why my torture scenes get written so quick. <laughs> He's like, I know how to burn people. But so when you get a dork who's like, oh, this is he doesn't understand. Because no. that dude, well, this guy's also an idiot. It's one of my stalkers. But hmm. they just don't get it. They Because they don't create anything, how could they possibly understand? Yep. It's not about the time. It's about the quality of the time. Well, it's like anything, right? Like the better you get at something, the quicker you can do it. Like as an accountant, right? By oh, the yeah. By the time, by the time um, you know, you'd retired, which we discovered was uh, 10 years ago now. Oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe we've been doing this full time for 10 years. So... Um, by the time we were I'm there so and, we, and we were doing government pricings, we, the first time you do one of those government pricings, it oh, takes you an agonizingly long amount oh, of time. Oh, ni- it's a nightmare. And then after a couple of years, after a decade of doing it, whatever, you can do them substantially faster. You can do them in your sleep. Yeah. And, and a lot of it's just, you're just like, oh yeah, I, I just do that. When you're auditing, when you first start and you're looking at tables and tables of numbers, looking for errors, looking for problems, looking for oddities, weirdness. In the beginning, you don't even know what you're looking at. And it takes so long and it's painstaking and agonizing. And then after you've been doing it for five years, you're like, you can scan. You're like, oh yeah. It's like, oh, well that percentage is weird. That's crap. Yeah. Why is that weird? And you're like, well, I don't know. And you go find out. It's it's the same thing. Like when (laughs) when I go on the internet and I see hundreds of comments on the internet. I could scroll through it. I could pick the one. I just, even if it doesn't say anything, I could just, that one. If I poke this guy within 10 posts, he's going to be screaming and ranting and raving and falling apart and threatening to murder me. Watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you do something good enough, long enough, you get an ear for it, you get an eye for it. Writing is the same dang thing. It's the same as anything else that you would apply yourself to. All right. Well, I think uh, th- this episode, we, you know, we were having a good time. We went a little bit longer, but... Uh... You know, I'm sure you all forgive us. It's not like you have any deadlines or anything. So um, thank you all so much for listening to us. Um, this episode and the previous two were recorded on our on our new uh, equipment. So hopefully it sounds okay. Uh, I think it will. But if you have any other comments, let us know and we can try to adjust from there. But uh, again, thank you guys so much for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Um, this is the Writer Dojo and we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that because they're delicious. I love hoes. I ate a lot of hoes this week. <laughs>